Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. I'm a designer and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today, I catch up with Todd Berger and Lucian Fair of the duo Burger Fair and co-founders of Ello. We'll learn about why Todd and Lucian have their agency on pause and all of the challenges and joys of creating a product in the startup environment today. Now, for those of you not familiar with Ello, it is a censorship-free social platform. And in the spirit of that, we've not censored any of the language in today's episode. So just a heads up if you're listening with little ears, maybe choose a different episode for this car ride. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Todd and Lucian from Ello. All right, guys, welcome all the way from Boulder, Colorado, co-founders of Burger and Fair, as well as social network Ello, Todd Burger, and Lucian Fair. According to the website, Burger and Fair are committed to triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit, and run a studio accordingly. And they're a certified B Corporation and 1% for the planet member. And as I'm learning, Burger and Fair is sort of on pause right now. So I'm very curious to dig into all of this. But guys, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Glad we made this happen. Well, so I guess appropriately enough, uh, my first interaction with your work was signing up for LO when you guys were just getting started. And so little did I know that that was like the main thing now. So I, I definitely, definitely want to dig into that here really soon, but maybe before we get ahead of ourselves, I always like learning about our designers origin stories. So tell me about how you guys got into this world in the first place. Todd's older, so he should start. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, maybe it was a, a very natural sort of place to arrive by means of a non sort of natural path. So, uh, w- you know, when it was time to go to college for me, it was either art and design or, or science. And, uh, having grown up <clears throat> in a family with a peer group that, uh, was really lacking, uh, a larger appreciation for the arts or a path into an arts career. Like that just wasn't, no one around me had done that or knew how to do that, but art or design wasn't a job, at least in the, where I grew up and how I grew up and I had an affinity for science. So I chose that path, but all the while I really just wanted to be an athlete. So somewhere along studying environmental science, I started racing mountain bikes, uh, more and more seriously. And and that became my career for a short period of time. So when I finished college, I left, moved out to Boulder to start racing bikes and, and that was going well, it's a hard way to earn a living, super fucking fun, great way to, you know, travel and and see a lot of beautiful places and meet a lot of cool people, but had some bad wrecks, hit by a car, some time in the hospital, sort of saw that I didn't really know how far this was going to go. So I took it upon myself to uh, start making the transition into art and design. I I had the science background, environmental science and quite a bit of chemistry and I, I enjoy it and it's informed my thinking. But uh, the opportunities that existed in the private sector at the time weren't interesting to me. So, uh, this, this is going way back in time for me now I'm 41. So we're going back 21, uh, 21 years. So I started teaching myself 
how to write HTML and CSS and some JavaScript. Uh, at the time, the University of Colorado had an experimental, their first program in, in web design and technology experimental, uh, like I think it was like a 16 course uh, continuing education program up there that's now turned into a master's program. But I actually enrolled in that while I was racing. I was doing that as much as I could when I was home, you know, built upon my skills uh, that I was teaching myself around writing code and, and using design tools, Photoshop, Illustrator, stuff like that. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I stumbled on GIF making 21 years ago, long before I was school and just have GIFs upon GIFs upon GIFs in old, old folders. Um, did that and uh, through bike racing and the internet was new then. This is like, uh, I mean, new-ish. This is the mid to late 90s. 96 is when I built my first website for money. And then in 97, opened a studio with a buddy. I had completely amateur design skills, but sort of advanced as they related to the web at that time. And I had a buddy with strong backend skills and we just made our first studio in, in 97. So that studio grew and evolved as our skills grew and evolved. I eventually bought out my partner because I wanted to take it in a more creative alternative direction for the time. He wanted to do corporate work and not, not uh, long after that, I met Lucian. So maybe that's a natural. Uh, yeah. Todd transition. goes first because mine's heavily dependent on Todd's. I've been working with Todd since I was in high school. I basically did, uh, I think my second year of high school, I did my internship uh, with Todd at his studio. I had a prior design internship that as the only thing I knew thought was amazing. And this is right around the time kid robot series two dunnies came out and I had ordered the Hucky dunny online. I'd never seen one in person. I didn't know anyone else that collected vinyl at that point. And I had that toy on my desk and I met Todd super serendipitously through a woman that worked in my high school visited his studio and he had the whole series of dunnies. And so that day I quit the other internship and started interning with Todd. I went way beyond my time commitment for high school and basically just spent all my time with him. I did go to college briefly. I went to a Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. I only made it shy of a semester before I just called Todd and told him I was dropping out and if I could have a job. And yeah. Lucian was already, by the time he went to high school, he was already working on, you know, commercial, professional projects with me. So he was definitely, yeah. before he went to college, excuse me, not high school. When he left high school, by the time he left high school, he was working on professional commercial projects. So by the time he entered college, he was pretty far ahead of his peer group, even though he had a, you know, a scholarship to a fairly prestigious school, at least in our, our region, for sure. So maybe catch us up to how did you get to a position of not only partnering together, but then determining it was time to put your practice on pause for Elo. Like walk us through, maybe let's not get into Elo yet. Cause I want to spend some time talking about that. Yeah. I, I, I can trace that narrative. So, uh, you know, when I, I launched my first studio, neither my, my partner nor I really knew uh, all that much about running a real, uh, business. He was a professional mountain bike racer. I was doing the same. He'd been a pretty serious mountain hippie living out of a VW bus for some time. We both had advanced, uh, college degrees. Uh, I also had a lot of business experience from growing marijuana, frankly. So we were operating from <laughs> uh, very kind of alternative, uh, ways of life. I mean, the year prior to founding our studio, my partner at the time, Christian, had 
spent almost a year explicitly. I mean, he'd been living in a bus for a couple of years, but almost a year explicitly without talking to other humans. Uh, so he's a genius in his own right and a super cool, weird dude who's gone on to be quite successful. But so we were an interesting combo, right? As we got our feet beneath us, if you will, uh, there was a lot of opportunity then too. Uh, web design and the opportunity to make a small studio in the web space was kind of a new emerging field. There weren't many. The, the agencies that were doing web in the mid to late 90s didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They were charging a lot for it. They kind of sucked. So if you were ready to hustle and figure shit out, there was a lot of opportunity. So we grew pretty fast for a little a little shop you know we were in boulder and both being athletes there's a big athletic community here let's it's sort of natural that athletes transition into professional endeavors later so we had a lot of leads and a lot of opportunities for like cool brands from our industry to work with other brands other interesting people uh so we grew pretty fast and and you know again my my partner at the time thought oh we should move into larger corporate projects and i was like well let's kind of figure out how to do this indie thing but do it more pro start getting into identity uh, start really pushing the limits of web and which we were doing from a very sort of early state. Like even in 98, we were building pretty progressive CSS sites, like taking over the full screen, using a lot of Z indices and, and just doing some kind of radical thing. So I wanted to pursue this, this artier approach to design with a, with a branding sort of focus. And that, that wasn't being talked about then in 97, 98, 99, like the word branding wasn't used out, you know, in the mid to late nineties outside of cattle. Um, that's like a, a that's a late nineties, early 2000 term. So we had some opportunity there. So I, I took the studio from my partner, rebranded it, figured we'd grow it a bit, have some more opportunities that way. That's when uh, we launched Cypher 13. And then this is when Lucian was around right before that transition. So we strategized the launch to Cypher 13 together. Uh, Cypher 13 launched this project called Joy Engine, which was a conceptual boutique art gallery paired with a multi-person, a global pa panel of bloggers, a multi-person blog. So we had 50 people blogging. This is in uh, early 2000s from all over the globe talking about art design, et cetera. And that was supported by a concept design boutique and art gallery, which we made a lot of art for, made a lot of products for, sold our friends art, uh, spray paint, kid robots, stuff like that. It was a cool conceptual shop and that lived in front of Cypher 13, in front of our studio. So through that experience, we got a lot of opportunities, worked with lots of big brands, Fortune 100, 500, seemed like the thing to do, right? Grow your studio, turn it into more of an agency. Uh, we learned pretty quickly that wasn't for us. So, you know, billables went up, we were making more money. Uh, we had more and more opportunities, but what happens in that role is, is the founder, the, probably the more senior founder in my case ends up doing a lot of biz dev, a lot of HR, a lot of shit like that. Interestingly enough, a lot of the things I'm doing again now as a CEO of Ello, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and Lucian and I realized that that wasn't really for us and the way the studio had taken shape. It was really kind of the the nexus of our design thinking paired Lucian and I, even though there was 12 people at one point that created the aesthetic and really pushed the ideology of our practice forward. And then so as we started realizing that that growing wasn't the right path and we wanted to get smaller to do better, more focused work, it just made sense to to wind down Cypher 13, put our name on the doors. Joy Engine was fun and cool. It, it made money, but barely any, and it took a lot of time to run. Um, so we had this studio of roughly a dozen people and this boutique shop gallery concept blog 
that was taking a lot of time and energy to run, wasn't making much money, but it was fun, but things like that can't go on forever. We also had lots of parties in the studio, DJs, all sorts of cool art events. And then we knew we needed to wind down the studio so we could hone in our practice, like wind it down in terms of size. So we brought Cypher 13 down to just the two of us, shut down Joy Engine, and Lucian and I were actually in this really huge office for maybe six months. It was like, you know, our studio was a little bigger than the studio space we're in now, and then we had the boutique in front of it, which we just turned into a foyer sort of lobby to meet with clients until we found a new space. So somehow we we brought it down to two pretty quickly and and made it uh, not only sustainable, but uh, highly profitable. So that, that was kind of an eye-opener that, okay, with just two of us charging what we believe is the right rates, providing a sort of heightened uh, level of focus, attention to detail, and service, uh, we, we could do really well. So we got out of there, right size, got a new studio, took us to, you know, that's the sort of transition into Burger and Fair, formally shut down Sever 13 and Joy Engine, launched Burger and Fair, and just uh, got back to work. Um, and we had a decent rep you know, from Cypher 13 and Joy Engine. So some people were like, oh, how are you going to do this? It's going to be hard. You're giving up all this sort of equity. And we were like, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll do it again and we'll do it a little quicker this time. Uh, so we did that and, and, you know, we challenged ourselves to do good work and to refine our principles and processes and approach. And we could talk about that later. And I think we did that fairly quickly, which gave us some opportunities and, and work was flowing pretty well and our reputation was growing so we were getting good jobs and so we started doing we got we've always made art so we got back to making more and more art and doing more and more of our own personal projects on the side until it was about 60 40 like 60 sort of client work 40 percent burger and fair self-motivated projects one of those projects happened to be Ello. uh it was it was a lot of art it was a handful of apps just things we could kick off and do to show, you know, how we would work if we could work on our own without the constraints of a client or an existing brand. Most of them were things that we would conceive, design a brand, name something, build a product, et cetera, et cetera. So we did that with Ello. Ello uh, sort of took off uh, on its own, took a life of its own. And, and we found ourselves in this position where we were running a studio our partner, Paul, was running his bicycle company after selling Kid Robot. Our friends in Denver at this company called Modeset were running their studio. All of us were working together on Ello. So we had this part-time team that all had other initiatives. And then our product blew up and we had the chance to raise some money. So we had to quickly wind down our other companies and, you know, give, give Ello a shot. And so now we're all in on Ello and we've been through quite an evolution there and we're focused on on building a great network for creatives right now and, and trying to put a lot of value into it and uh it's exciting and awesome and super hard and some days suck and some are cooler than others and you know it's a it's trying to make a, a startup work so it's a whole whole new deal so was was Ello your first foray into the product creation space or in the startup world in general no, we've done a lot of products ourselves. Um, yeah, we launched like when the first iPad came out and the only native note application was in Marker Fell, we launched an app called Helvetica Note, which is essentially just a note taking app in Helvetica. And we added some features you could draw, save, manage a little bit. So we've done a few things like that. We launched a gesture only calculator called Reckner. So 
we've never done the develop side on our own. We sort of partner with cool local small groups. As Burger and Fair, we should say. Prior to that, we were like we both wrote code. I taught Lucian how to write code. When we made the transition from Cyber 13 to Burger and Fair, we decided we were going to focus purely on design, design strategy, brand strategy. That was where we were strongest and this sort of the the divide was getting deeper right between design and development at one time it wasn't so it wasn't so deep they were they were a lot closer but as as code bases grew and 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 new types of languages arose like development became its own thing design got very specific so we decided to focus on design and at that point it was advantageous to us too, having written a lot of code and done a lot of development that we could partner with strong developers to build things but we stopped building things on our own Cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, we launched a toy line at one point where we actually did all the molding and casting ourselves. So, but I would say Ella was more of the typical startup in terms of investors, venture capitalists. That's definitely been our Certainly first Certainly the first time we've done that, or we've tried to take, created something that warranted taking money from other, other people and, you know, mm-hmm. having investors and building a board and, and, and doing that. But wasn't our first foray into new brand, new identity, new business, new product, you know? Well, maybe to back up just a little bit for those of our listeners who maybe haven't checked out Elo yet, tell us a little bit about kind of what the impetus was for that as a product and kind of what your vision is moving forward. The start of Elo was us wrapping up a project with Paul Budnitz, who's the founder of Kid Robot. He had moved to Boulder, started a bicycle company. We did the whole identity package, website, design on bike branding for that company and we worked really well together so coming out of that we said we want to do a project together not as partners kill the client relationship side so we would just hang out and have lunch about every week and talk about what we wanted to do and then we decided on a social network mostly as creators and for Todd and I designers, we didn't feel like there's a good place for us to share our work. At the time, Instagram was only small squares. Dribble felt really specific in terms of a certain aesthetic and sort of this in progress vector art. You know, we put stuff on Flickr back in the day. So that was larger, but that was mainly for photos. So we didn't really feel like there was a spot that the internet, there wasn't a spot on the internet for designers by designers to just share their work. And we were collaborating with people kind of globally at this point. So we would like send a note via iChat and it would have a link to something on Flickr or Pinterest or a tweet. And then someone might DM us on Twitter, which would turn into like a hangout and hangouts really suck then. Like we were using all these disparate tools to try to collaborate and just communicate, right? Because we had a lot of other designer peers who would look at our work for us often before we showed it to clients. Hey, we're stuck on this. And like, you know, a small vetted group of people that we'd like to get feedback from. And, and, and similarly, a handful of people that, you know, wanted feedback from us. So we were using all these different tools to do that. And our thinking at the time was like, well, shit, if we made the right tool to do this, and we're still not there yet with Ello, by the way, we're moving there. We made the right tool to do this and there was no ads and our data wasn't being collected. Like how, how cool of a space would that be? online. And, and so that was really the, the impetus, you know, to get going was to make that tool and, and create that space, uh, for creative people to really share work, get positive feedback, collaborate, 
ultimately find work and, and, and really become a place that led to creative opportunities for people with a creative focus, which is a very different thing, I, I would argue, still than even today's social networks. Some of them have sort of hacked into that idea, like Instagram has become that for many people, sheerly purely because of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Facebook bought Instagram, they leveraged Facebook social graph, everyone's on there. Now you can share stuff in their format. They've opened it up to make it a little more creative and, and it can lead to lead to opportunities. On the opportunities front, we're still focusing and working hard to hone in on a, on a platform that's a bit more explicit and focused on providing the right kinds of opportunities for creative people like, like ourselves. Uh, rather than this larger sort of generic swath of, of the world. So maybe tell me a little bit about, about what the team of LO looks like now. So obviously it's, it's grown beyond just the two of you. How many folks are involved that are on staff and working day to day? I'll share some learnings there because it's been interesting. So it's uh, 17 or 18 now. We're making one of our part-timers is about to go full-time, but so we went from seven part-timers to Elo blowing up and adding a handful of consultants. Uh, Casey, who's sitting behind me, was our was our first was our first official employee. So we went from seven part-timers to a handful of consultants to get things moving quicker quickly, and they did. But it was messy, right? Because working with consultants on a product. Uh, that you own yourself is hard. Collaborating as consultants on products is different, but you know, that was, that was tricky. We learned a lot there um, and, and made a lot of headway. And then we slowly started building our own team. And so after Casey, a handful, you know, engineers, uh, a couple CS people, some marketing people, we probably grew too quickly. Casey, do you even know the number we maxed out at before we scaled down? 34. So yeah, we got, we got up to 34 too fast. We raised a bunch of money. Ella was super hot. We thought we could grow and build all this shit really fast. And it, it was, we weren't ready to do it. It got complicated. We found ourselves stumbling over inefficiencies that we weren't ready to move beyond. We, d- we just scaled up too fast. So then we wound back down uh, a little, a little extremely, I think to maybe uh, 13, 14. And then we've slowly been going back up. So we're actually, I think 18, 19 now. Um, so we have a seven person engineering team. We have a two person product and design team, which I supplement conceptually, but Casey and Lucian do all the work. We have a five person marketing and CS team. We have financial consultants, a part-time COO who's becoming a full-time COO, and then a handful of, you know, consultants that, that do smaller projects with us. So pretty nimble and and we're I think we're right size now and and ready to grow given a, a few things happening in the future but it took us definitely took us a while to to figure that out and we're we're also resource constrained in some ways but not ready to you know make the leap financially or otherwise to to add to certain things I mean like Lucian handles all the design for the product any marketing initiative any internal initiative it's a lot of work and, and Casey manages how all that shit gets built and organized and sorted out in the most efficient, uh, manner possible. So, you know, a two person product design team is pretty light for what we're trying to do, but we're making it work and we're trying to be nimble. And, uh, that as a, as I guess, as a value feels important to us after having grown a little too quickly. So going from a two person like side gig idea kind of thing 
all the way up to 34 people back to 17, you get investors to keep happy. Like how'd you guys land on what the business model is and kind of what, what's your future vision on what that looks like? Um, well, there's, there's sort of no landing. We've landed on a handful of things and we're, we're still iterating. I think there was actually a bunch of questions in there. So, so I'll, I'll try to go in order. So our investors are cool and, and, and trust us and believe in us and are willing to take this risk. And, and they get the premise that creators need opportunities. They need influence. They need recognition. All of us, right? You, us, that's how our careers are built. That's how our careers thrive. And the notion of building a platform to focus on that while there's some that do it in different ways is, uh, it makes sense. The market's big. Uh, we have an, a, a smart, fairly experienced team. Uh, so, so the investors believe in us and, and they're cool and, and they're behind us, which is, which is rad. And it's hard to find good investors. And, and we've done that from a, from a business perspective, we're leaning heavily into creators. And so what that means to us is, is a lot of things, it, but first and foremost, bringing values to creators and their fans and, and followers so they can help build and earn recognition and influence and take advantage of the opportunities that we're creating for them. So we have a handful of models that we're rolling out on the platform right now. One is a collaborative co-sponsored contest between Ello and other brands. We've done a bunch of these already. Um, we're getting into daily giveaways. We're up to three a week right now. So we're buying art from creatives and then we're giving it out to the community to help those creatives get exposure and, and expose more people to their art and provide an opportunity for someone to win a super dope piece of art or, or product. We're integrating a bespoke custom streams model so people can highlight certain content in our discover section by, by buying in essence, purchasing a featured stream that, and, and this is, only if they're bringing opportunities for influence and recognition, et cetera, to creatives in one way or another. So we're building that model out right now. I mean, we're looking at our discover experience as sort of like our internal network, internal to Ello, where we're going to have a bunch of brands and partners inside Ello's discover experience that are providing unique opportunities to our creatives. Uh, we just completed the first pass of our jobs experience. So something we did maybe six, eight months ago is we asked people to tell us who wanted to collaborate and who wanted to be hireable. So we're going to be moving into creating a, a jobs platform inside the product for the people that want to be hireable and then expanding on that. And then we have this uh, collaborative functionality right now that lots of people are using and they're collaborating with one another. So we have a whole bunch of ways we're going to expand upon that. And then we have a super active and highly engaged email list. So we're starting to find the right people that want to sponsor emails in a cool way that's different than traditional advertising and supportive of our community. So we really have a variety of business models that we're flipping the switches on right now in a whole bunch of different ways and iterating on. We also have a bigger down the road sort of white glove conceptual hiring platform where we would curate the top talent on the platform in a unique way and let agencies and brands pay for access to those people. So we would work in essence as agencies and reps for all those creatives and help them find unique opportunities from these brands and agencies who believe it or not are still today struggling to find good talent for their projects. So our, our, our bottom line is to put forth business models that put creators first and put money in creators' pockets while enabling the business to be sustainable. Yeah, I think which is uh, obviously a bigger challenge without ads and without the things that the traditional, if we can say that, traditional social networks have done. 
definitely, definitely challenging. You know, we uh, quite a while ago, we reached the sort of numbers where if we had any sort of traditional ad business, we could have been killing it. <laughs> and instead, we're iterating our way towards doing what we believe is a more right, just and appropriate business model for the for the people that we know and believe in and that we want to support. And we just can't do that with any sort of traditional data collecting advertising model. So if you're willing to talk through this, I'm curious what maybe one of your biggest letdowns or your biggest, you know, down moments has been in growing Ello. Like what, what's been the biggest roadblock or the biggest um, disappointment so far? Do, do you have one that stands out? I mean, there's all sorts. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just taking the punches and rolling with it. Yeah. At this point. I don't uh, know. I could pick it's, one. We, it's, it's hard, right? Like we had, we've had some super for, fortuitous moments like, Ello blew up. It was one of the biggest viral sensations of 2014. But at the same time, we weren't ready for what that meant. We didn't even know what that entailed at the time or what that meant. You know, there was some naive, naive moves we made back then, like because of our principles and policies on data collection and advertising, we were like, we're not going to be on any other social platforms, right? We're building our own. We're only going to be on Ello. Had we created our Twitter account and our Snapchat and our Instagram, then we'd have massive global followings. But we didn't think we wanted that or needed that or didn't realize how helpful that would be, even though we recommend that kind of shit to our clients every single day. Right. We were, <laughs> right. We were doing that shit totally differently. So we missed an opportunity there. I mean, in hindsight, growing too fast, I, I think now is a pretty naive, silly opportunity. Um, you know, we weren't we were in leadership roles, but we weren't driving these sorts of decisions at that point in time like we are now. Uh, so I think, I, I, but I can't say I would have avoided that then. Right. So, I mean, I think all, all of us were learning on the fly, but we grew too fast. We missed some opportunities early. Uh, we certainly as a team overpromised and underdelivered on more than one occasion, which we all know just doesn't make anyone happy. You know, I don't, I don't know that there was so many explicit things, lots of little mistakes, which is the process, right? The challenge, I think, and as you get better at playing the startup game or entertaining the, the concept of having a startup and finding your way to product market fit, the challenge is to learn fast and iterate. And so it often took us too, too long to learn or we were hung up on an idea and we we're like, no, 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 let's give it a day or a week or three weeks or a month when we should have just moved on. And, you know, so so we've learned a lot. We iterate faster. We uh, try to make as many assumptions as we can up front uh, with regards to our risk tolerance for trying something new and, and to determine the likelihood of it being successful. And it, it's tough. I mean, the bottom line is, uh, you know, there's a lot of smart people in this game. There's also a lot of less smart people. Some of them get lucky. But I mean, it's not it's not just being smart and having good skills like you got to bring a product to market. The market has to be willing. It has to be the right time. Maybe your product kind of sucks, but the market's big enough so it takes off and you can raise some money to meet the need or you raise some money, but you don't meet the need. I mean, there's a lot of variables. I think now we understand the dynamics of of playing in, in startup space. And then there's easier ways to go about it. We're going about it in a pretty tough way. We're not adhering to any of the traditional uh, business models because philosophically we're not aligned with them. So we're trying to take some bits and pieces of existing models and then invent new ones and, and apply them to our space to bring value to the, the people we want to bring value to. So yeah, now, you know, I guess there was a handful of explicit things there, but it's just it's learning every day and, and trying to learn fast and trying to be nimble 
Uh, and it's tough, but it's, but it's fun. I can tell you right now, it's way harder than running, managing our design studio and doing design work. It makes that seem like a cakewalk. And, and I don't want to sound like an asshole saying that maybe I do, but we got pretty good at what we did. And we're frankly only better at it now from our new experiences, even though like that's through osmosis cause we're not doing it. Um, but this is certainly much more challenging. You know, you guys wouldn't be the first designers that I've heard kind of want to build their own product and do their own thing and become their own client. And you guys, you guys did it like it, it worked and you got there, but what are the, what are the new challenges, especially as like, you know, founders and executives of, of, of running a startup that is so different from the studio. I know, as you just said, like this makes the studio look easy, but, but what are some of the different challenges that you have as LO? I would say it's almost every aspect of our day today is a new challenge. We went from working together for whatever, 14 plus years where our communication was dialed to growing a team, working with other people, onboarding other people in the business, fundraising, like learning the legalities around. That was the first time for us to go through fundraising. So we learned tons and we just closed around and, and taught by that as CEO. So it's been, yeah, I would say almost every aspect. And it was hard because from the design studio for Burger and Fair, the transition from Cypher 13 to Burger and Fair was really the distillation of process for us where we had all these processes. We took that time to like really take our time and hone in every process we want to do, how we wrote our proposals, how we made presentations. And we basically just tossed all that out now every day we're like, okay, this process isn't working very well and trying to just make everything better, but almost nothing is the same. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, you know, communication, we're distributed. So that comes with its own challenges. But like previously, like pretty much if I called Lucian and the phone was ringing, he knew what I was going to ask or say, or he, he was, had already read my mind and it was like, oh yeah, I'm doing X or tomorrow we should blah, blah, blah. Right. Like we were very synced on everything that was happening in the studio. Our processes were super dialed in that hiatus between Cyber 13 and Burger and Fair, as he was saying, like proposals, invoicing, client presentations, like we spent months getting that dialed so we could flip on the switch to Burger and Fair and just start doing work the way we knew how to do it, the way we thought best. And, and it proved that we had a high degree of knowledge in that space because we were able to do a lot of good work for a lot of people in a short period of time before freezing the studio, which led us to now. But Lucian's right. Most of that shit got thrown out the door with the exception of like a lot of our design principles are still in Lucian's daily uh, design practice. I know for me as CEO, at least what I've had to learn from a like board management perspective and fundraising perspective, investor relations perspective, team communication, team organization, uh, you know, how discovery works inside the organization and we distribute that information and we align everywhere. Like all that shit's new to me and to us. Uh, some people on the team have had more experience with it than others, but it's certainly all new for us and it's been a, a learning curve and it's been exciting and challenging, but it's also been like, we feel incredibly fortunate that we've had the opportunity to apply everything we've learned to now to this, and then to get to learn all all these new things uh, that are going to be, that are super valuable to Elo today. And if, and when we make it back to the studio, we're going to have a whole new 
knowledge base uh, to apply to our own work, our artwork, our client design work, our consulting work, et cetera. So it's while immensely challenging, it's a, certainly a blessing in, in other ways. Do you feel like there are any uh, misperceptions about what Elo is out there? What do you think is the most like common thought? Yeah, I think there's lots, you know, and, and, and I guess this comes back to your earlier question on like our, our I don't remember what it was, but I'm going to call it perhaps our biggest fuck up. Right. So uh, Elo blew up and it blew up under the auspices. The media had deemed it a Facebook killer. And uh, for one reason or another, a, a confluence of events led to that narrative floating out there, predominantly in the tech world and in some small component of the design world. And at the time, it was sort of decided internally to lean into that, even though we were uncertain about it. And we did. We knew there would be challenges with it. And it created tons of incorrect, misaligned, inappropriate uh, perceptions around the product. Like the intent, at least from us as designer founders, was never to be a Facebook killer. There was other parties involved that saw that as an opportunity uh, that wasn't exciting to us or really interesting to us. And, and again, looking back on some of the naive decisions we made, right? Like for anyone to think that because they built something and the media said they might kill Facebook, that they could actually do that overnight or in a fairly uh, condensed period of time is just straight up stupid, right? I mean, you can't Facebook, whether you agree with their principles, philosophies, policies, et cetera, or not as a behemoth of an entity. And they've made all sorts of super smart and strong business decisions and, and their track record is, is pretty fucking good. Right. Uh, lots of people have thought they were going to take them down or make a big dent and they just keep iterating and evolving. So again, like them or not, they're really good at what they do. So I, I think that led leaning into that created a lot of misperceptions around what Elo is. And, you know, I, I took over as CEO a little, I think right about a year ago, a little less, and we decided to kind of go quiet for a while, build out the product. Actually, today we just deployed a what seems like a minor thing, but it's a big step towards towards where we're going uh, in making some refinements to the product. So we decided to sort of go quiet, reestablish our focus on creators and creatives where we started, reassess the roadmap and, and uh, put things back in what we believe was the best order to start getting back to, you know, in a fairly quick way, uh, creating real value for creators. And so now we're right about at the point of, of telling that story in a, in a bigger way and spending a little money to do so. But yeah, and then, you know, perception is reality. So when people have incorrect or misaligned perceptions about you or your product or a brand or a thing, they're, they're real. You could pretend they're not real, but they're real. Um, and so that, that becomes a brand problem and a product problem. And then you have to, you know, set forth, uh, a strategy and figure out how you're going to begin changing that. It's, it's not certainly not easy, um, easier in some cases than others. So we're, we're making a foray into, you know, subtly correcting some of those misperceptions out there. And, and lots of them are fine, right? Like all the people that showed up to Elo as a Facebook killer, like they were never going to be Elo's optimal user, customer, uh, community member. So, you know, the, the focus now is on building real, it's always been, but it got a little skewed is on building real community where there's value between community members and, and the product brings those community members additional value. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Lucian might have a more succinct summary. Yeah. That people think we're the Facebook killer. 
that's the biggest misconception. <laughs> or that, that we were, right? And that we just that we just failed at, at being that. Which if if that's the uh sort of uh measurement by which you're gauging us, then yes, we failed at being the Facebook killer. And the fact I mean we don't even really consider ourselves a social network. So even being lumped in as a social network is a bit of a misconception to us. Well, maybe to flip that the other way, then what do you feel like your greatest success is to date with LO? Or maybe what are you most proud of? So for me, regardless of how tough it can get in terms of the business side and how it's all going, every morning when I wake up and I check LO, I see super dope shit from creators from all over the world. And so that definitely lights my fire every day to I'm willing to throw all I have at it. So if that ever stops, that'll be a big problem. So I I would say that's my biggest success. And then we did just launch a a magazine uh, called Not For Print. And the first issue came out really nice. The theme was censorship. And at the end, we actually didn't, there was 50 people we curated from LO into the magazine and we didn't even realize at the time, but when we were making the announcement post later, we realized 17 countries were represented in that magazine. And that felt like a special moment, too. Yeah, I have to agree with Lucian. The fact, you know, we built something that really cool in a non-cliche, just cool, legit creative people with alternative ideas, pushing the limits, like not comfortable with the status quo that are that just need to be creative we built a product that those people use every day and more and more people are using it every day and the challenge to us is is to make it better because we're we believe we're those people and we want to support more people like like us particularly when we were younger and more aspiring and and we've learned a lot along the way and and i think we we as a team and lucian and i as individuals we know what independent creatives need at least we know we have a amassed a large amount of knowledge about what they need and and like striving to build a product for creatives who are in our opinion the most influential people on the planet they they change ideas they change thought patterns they change governments they change political systems they change the way we see the world building a product for those people and creating opportunities for those people and empowering them is is motivating it's also it's also challenging um but like lucian said the fact that we wake up open up this product every day and it's full of super rad kind of next level thinking is both aspirational and inspirational and, and highly motivational at the same time. And we get to interact with some straight up design and art heroes of all time. We're now using LO and we can interact with them. And another time I remember the first time I saw someone really post on Sunday, this was a long time ago now, but I was like, holy shit, someone is using LO on Sunday. I think Dwayne <laughs> King posted some astronaut thing on a Sunday a long time ago now. Now lots of people use it on Sunday, but that was kind of a milestone for me too. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess to sort of elaborate on this, right. Product is hard. Brand is hard. I mean, in the market today, even when we got started, it's harder than ever. I mean, everyone's sort of aggregated now, right? Like a lot of these little guys have been bought up by bigger guys and we're playing in a space against behemoths. And we still, there's articles that pop up every week to couple weeks to at least monthly where someone mentions Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Ello's in that conversation. And 
as imperfect as our product is, and it'll never be up to our standards, like we'll always be chasing something further out than where we're at and, and wanting to do better and be more. We're, we're in that conversation and that's pretty rad. Um, particularly if you just team aside, if you just come back to two dudes in their design studio working on a side project to, to get, to get to that space is a special and, and an interesting thing. Again, it comes with all sorts of its own headaches and challenges and whatnot, but it's cool to be in the conversation and, you know, we're thankful and excited that we have the opportunity to try and do something really radical here. So again, I think that the opportunity to summarize the opportunity to me is what I think is, is most cool and interesting because it's, it's hard it's hard to create opportunities, right? As an individual, as a studio, uh, it takes a lot of momentum and a lot of energy invested. And when that sort of coalesces and it uh, evolves to the point where, holy shit, we or I now have an opportunity that's fun and exciting and interesting and challenging, that that's special. And like, you know, we want to share that with more people. That's kind of the point of the platform. So you guys mentioned seeing some of your design heroes posting to Ello. Who, who are some of those? Folks, if you care to name drop, I'm just curious who some of your influences or design heroes are. You want to list some? Uh, well, definitely an art hero. James Jean is on there. It's amazing seeing his work. Sawdust. Um, you know, Dwayne, Lucian brought up Dwayne King. Dwayne's a friend and a peer, but, you know, it's cool. Like, we didn't we didn't ask him to use Ello, for example. Um but, Without going into some of the sort of historical references, I think what's even more interesting to me is like the the artists and designers, the majority of the artists and designers I'm paying attention to now, I I had never seen any other place and discovered them on Ella. Oh, that's super cool. And, and there's a whole bunch of them and some are more active than others. They're in, they, you know, they come in frequently and check it out, but they're coming and, and that's how I discovered them. And and that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Well, we were pretty stoked when you uh, selected one of our guys to be part of your not for print piece. So a little shout out to Ryan Picard. Yeah, that's awesome. Ryan's work is super rad. We're working on the next issue right now. I think we're going to be announcing it next week. Maybe we have a meeting immediately after this about uh, kicking it off. So we've got the next theme and the next concept dial. Then we're just ready to get into production and, and start, you know, getting submissions from creatives so we can start putting the next mag together. So maybe I'll ask you guys the really tough question, which is, um, is Ello going to be your forever thing? Is it back to burger and fair? What's, what's kind of the, the future look like for you guys? I mean, I'll start and then Lucian can jump in. I mean, nothing's forever, right? So we're as into it as we've been into anything in our careers. And again, you know, we, right now we took money from investors. We have employees. We believe in this company. We believe in the audience we're building our product for. And, and for all those things to sort of, come together in a meaningful way, we have to be a profitable company to be sustainable. So our path right now is on, is, is to creating real value for creators, you know, finding a unique niche in the marketplace beyond the one we have today and, and figuring out how to get this company on a sustainable path to growth, to return for our shareholders, our investors and, and ourselves and our employees and to, to build a valuable company that rewards creators in outsized ways. And that's our focus. When we get there, 
we'll see what happens next, you know? Um, but the future while exciting is always a, a sort of uncertain destination. So I think all you can try to do is strive to be stoked on, on what you're doing and push it to the farthest extent you can. And, you know, uh, use all of your intelligence and sort of aspirational, uh, energies to strive to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I touched on it earlier, just, I would say the morning I open up LO and I don't see amazing work from amazing people, maybe my tune will change. But right now there's nothing else I want to work on. And as a design studio, we talked about the concept of spheres of influence a lot in a lot of different ways. It was related to client work, the size of clients or whatever, but we are now creating uh, a pretty sizable sphere of our own and we have the opportunity to make it huge. Nice. Well, I've just got a couple of um, questions left for you guys before we wrap up, because I know you need to get to your not for print meeting after this. But, you know, everybody that's on the show, I always ask them and I'll ask you guys, too. So what do you think you guys are most obsessed with right now? And it can be anything life, design, technology. What do you find yourself most obsessed with? For me, it's figuring out the new post tools and how they work in grid mode on Ello. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a similar obsession to a number of the priorities in the pipeline that we're working on, right? But if I was going to back out, uh, you know, and, and 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 working hard to get them right and and make sure they feel cool and and that people are stoked, like that's way up there. But I, you know, I'm personally outside of work. Uh, I have a 15 month old son at home that I'm pretty fucking obsessed with. And he feels like uh, a pretty radical project come to fruition. So I'm, I'm super stoked on that. And it's, he's certainly keeping me motivated to try my hardest at work. Are you the CEO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So, you know, and again, it's like, that project right now is a little bit more like the baby that Lucian and I made that is our studio, right? It's just <laughs> myself and my wife and our son. So it's clearly easier to manage than the the entity that we're, we're building here, which is what's exciting and, and where all the challenges come from, you know, more people, bigger ideas, bigger ambitions, things, things get, get trickier. Um, but that's where opportunity lies. And, and from that, I think, all sorts of excitement is born. Nice. So what would you guys say to all the young designers or aspiring future founders out there? What's your single best piece of advice that either you've received or you like to pass along to members of the team? I've, I've got a few. I mean, I think, you know, work, work harder than everyone around you and do your best to be humble while doing it, which can be hard. And then give back to others in your community and, and just people on the periphery of you at every opportunity. And those three things, like you'll earn respect for working hard. Uh, everyone likes, you know, a humble person. And, and the more you give back, the more you'll you'll sort of extend your reach and, and build those spheres of influence that are to create more opportunities for you in the in the future. Well, those are pretty solid, I guess I would say. Maybe <laughs> pretty specific to at least how Todd and I's path has been. I don't think this applies to everyone, but for us, it's really been about finding our specialty 
So finding that niche, finding that style, finding that one, the one thing that's going to make you special and then actually pursuing that to the nth degree. It doesn't work if you want to be broad, (laughs) but if you're down to specialize, that's always been pretty important to us. And Ello is kind of a example of that too. We're not trying to be a network for everyone. We want to be a special place for creators. Nice. So before we let you go, maybe tell all of our listeners where they can check out uh, Not For Print and Ello and Burger and Fair. Like where, where should they track things down? We only use Ello at this point. No, it's uh, Ello.co.co, <laughs> just hello with no H. Uh, not for print.co as well. You can still buy first issue. We'll be doing pre-sales of the second issue once uh, the curation aspect is done. Yeah. And then our identity work and, you know, all of our client work is still up at, at burgerfair.com, B-E-R-G-E-R-F-O-H-R.com. There's that site. will get a little facelift here soon. It's literally the work's done and we just need to push a few buttons. You know, we still sell our artwork there. We're out of most of all of our prints right now, but we're going to be engaging in a new body of artwork here soon with regards to the current political state of of our country uh, and the globe in general. So look for some new art from us in the, in the coming months. Excellent. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure to uh, finally catch up with you and uh, not exaggerating when I say, I think we probably have a couple more hours of things that we could chat about here. So maybe we'll do a part two here in the, that, that in would the be cool. future. Just love to man. Thanks for uh, making the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. You bet. And, uh, Todd and Lucian, thank you for being obsessed with design. All right, guys, that's episode number 61 in the books for all of today's show notes, head on over to obsessedshow.com. If you're not subscribed, please go to iTunes or your favorite podcatcher to subscribe. And we'd love a rating and review to help other people find the show. If you have a minute, tweet to at Josh Miles or at Obsessed Show. And let me know who you think we should interview next. Some of our best guests come from recommendations from our audience. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. You can find us on Instagram. We are at Miles Herndon. Thanks to Cassie Joe for her intro music of Matchbox Girl and to Jen Eds from the Brassy Broadcast Company for making us sound fabulous. Check out BrassyBroad.com for more info. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.